0: All of this and more, coming up on Drama School Dropout.
1: I remember when I was 12 they were going to make the first Harry Potter with Steven Spielberg and they went around all the schools in the UK to try and find Harry's and I was submitted for that by the head of uh, drama at my secondary school.
0: And then you also spend like 45 minutes on a Monday morning crying about your dead relatives or sitting in the fetal position rocking back and forward. All the girls in the year had
1: to come up with a ritual they were doing on Hampstead Heath and they went and did it at like 2am on Hampstead Heath you know some of them got into a state of undress. It feels so- Sexual in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout, the UK's third best drama podcast. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. This week, it's episode 158 and I am joined by an absolutely amazing actor. Please welcome to the podcast, Jude Monk McGowan. Drama School Dropout No graduation day for you Welcome to the podcast. How are we on this fine, I don't even know what day it is at this point. I'm great. I'm really good. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Honestly, all my pleasure. Genuinely very excited to
1: chat with you today. As a podcaster myself, I I fully appreciate the the pod mode that we had to get. You know, we always have a pre- pod chat and and, you know having to then switch yourself on and get into you know the welcome as if we haven't already said hello to each other and had a little bit of a preamble before yeah and there's some people like
0: that have never done podcasts before and you're like i'll just say like welcome to the podcast and then i ask them how they are again and they go yeah yeah i'm i'm good i'm i'm good
1: yeah (laughs) yeah 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 you can vocally hear them going I'm so confused. We literally just had this conversation. What, what what can you possibly benefit from hearing me say this all over again? Yeah.
0: yeah. I wasn't recording exactly. then. Um, but, ha- yeah. but how are you? Because like, it's been like a mad couple of years. I'm hesitant to say that we're in a pandemic. We're out of a pandemic. I feel like especially actors were living in this sort of middle ground purgatory. So like, how's life? Because it has been mental.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like I I, I did a... I did a, uh, a gig um, with an actor um a year or so ago um, and he he was a, a lead on this on on this show and he was and he was he sort of perfectly put into uh into words the sort of the experience of the actor um that his mates were all kind of going insane his non-actor friends were going insane during lockdown and he was like this is kind of like what we do as actors you know like yes. we're, we're waiting around you know um sometimes we're between gigs you know because it, the, the industry makes no sense you know you can you could slog it in rehearsals doing a fringe show you know as you are you know uh, for the fringe you know working till 11 p.m for you know um little money um or, or you could do like a, um, a voiceover in your underwear in your room for 7k
0: i feel like we saw the same instagram
1: post yesterday yeah rebecca humphries we're looking at you um I was about to bring that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um but she but again I mean she, she put it beautifully. So in a funny way I'm like it's kind of like what I've experienced since graduating from drama school, you know, like yeah. you have you know you have you have gaps in which you need to uh, stay sane, live your life and and create an energy around you. Um mm-hmm. you know, if you haven't read that post by Rebecca Humphries you need to look at it right now. Um it's her advice to recent graduates. And uh, the first thing I think she says is about creating your own work, not because, you know, um, you're not talented and, and, you know, you need to generate your own work. It's that your voice is important and needs to be needs to be heard um and i agree with that so much big time but there's something about energies are attractive and jason bateman talks about it on the smartest podcast a lot if you haven't heard that podcast it's, it's great the bantam is, is is amazing sean hayes and will arnett jason bateman and he talks about developing um sexy indifference and i think like if you create an energy around yourself you know you're like i'm good i'm i'm, I'm making my own work you know like i'm i'm i'm, I'm uh creating an energy around myself and I'm enjoying that and that, that's amazing. So I don't need this job you know, that I'm in the audition for. Like, oh God, I desperately need it. And there's something really attractive about someone whose energy is like, you know, I'm, I'm good. Sexy indifference. you know? Do
0: you know what it was for me? Like, and the way that I think about this is like all your way through drama school, you kind of get told when you graduate, nobody's going to come knocking on your door. Like you've got to make, mm. you've got to make your own work. And for me, that always felt like, well, you're doing all of this work in drama school and then you're going to fail because you're going to have mm-hmm. to you're not going to get these jobs that you want you're going to have to mm. make your own work and then when the pandemic hit me and my best friend we were like looking for a way to like not go mental and I was like should we write a play mm. like i've got like 12 pages or something of dialogue that i've written for something else but like i think could work and we wrote this play and i've realized now that it's not a failure making your own work and you don't have to make your own work you get to make your own work
1: mm, yes. and it
0: has been like one of the best things that I've ever done and like th- another way to look at it is like Adam Sandler, like he's a massively famous actor, he doesn't wait for people to come to him, he makes the shit no. that he wants to make with his friends sometimes it's shit, look at Grown Ups too. Mm. But like, lots of it's shit. Yeah, sometimes it's great. Do you know what I mean?
1: Totally. I mean, my so my best pal Peter Clements. Um, he from a play he did at the New Diorama created this this drag character uh, that was was um from a play, uh, but it was it's kind of a mix between the compare of cabaret and this um grand dame of the theatre. But the, the sort of gag is that she's uh, she's a terrible actor, um, yeah. but she lives forever and she's kind of the devil and. And she ends up being Angela Lansbury's dresser on Broadway and trying, trying to kill her. And he and he took this to the fringe. Uh, he had a run at the Hackney showrooms. He is gonna be in a film called Femme with this character, um, which stars George Mackay. It's gonna come out at the end of the year. When he started that character, it was probably 2014, 2013. Yeah. He couldn't have foreseen that he would have a run at the, um, the Hackney showrooms, um, a fringe run, um, and then it would be it, at one stage he was going to go to New York. Um, pandemic messed that up. And then he's going to be in a film with George MacKay as this character. And he was also sorry. He was also in the Gotham series, the, the um, you know, the the Alfred series. Yeah. As this character, couldn't have foreseen the life of that, where it would have taken him. Sadly retired, um, Frau now. But uh, that's that, that is a huge lesson, and and all of his gigs. I'd say for the last year and a half have been through him and his connections. I haven't compromised at all. That I mean, that's a testament to creating an energy around yourself, um, trusting your own unique voice, and that it is interesting. You know, your own perspective on something. Yeah. You know, because drag drag has obviously had like a vogue um, uh, over the last what five, six, seven years. But the, through the prism of his character and the way he perceived art and himself, you know, he's, he's, it's had huge um, success. And there's there's something about that which I think should be seductive to people, um, not only because of people like Michaela Cole and uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge making their own work, being at the National and then being on the BBC, but because, um, as you say, he's the the level of meaning and enjoyment that you derive from it is 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 huge because you're you're so empowered by it.
0: I also think that you can't that you can't make your own content because you want to be Phoebe Waller Bridge. Like I actively w- was using for a while, Phoebe Waller Bridge as an adjective. I'm going to Phoebe Waller Bridge this. Like I'm going to write this and make myself massively famous. I think the secret sure. comes to making content for yourself like throughout the pandemic i tried to do youtube and stuff to keep myself from going mental and because you saw the view number right underneath the video and obviously nothing happened overnight and i just instantly lost interest i was like oh my god why am i not famous do you know what i mean so i like (laughs) quit it straight away and the fact when i done this started this podcast and realized that i enjoyed it i didn't look at the numbers because you you have to like you'll know the numbers aren't just there like you actually have to go looking for them and i sure. was like no i'm not going to look like i'm enjoying this i'm making this for myself yeah and when i started making content that i enjoyed that's when it started to actually become successful and do well so i think yeah it's like very great all and well-being having these like grand ideas and wanting to write that show and wanting to create that character. I think you have to do it because you love it. Mm, Totally. Because otherwise like it's not going to be very good. If you're trying to write a play with the aims of getting it a television adaptation or getting a national tour, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and that's going to be very prevalent. In
1: the finished product, totally. I mean, I think you know, Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. The thing that's so so brilliant about both of them is their authenticity. And mm. there's there's a there's a fear then, um, if you are looking at numbers and you're worrying about you know uh, you're, you're second guessing your your own voice. And that that's what's um, so brilliant about about any artist is their authenticity uh, with their with their voice. Yeah. Um, I think
0: the main issue is that people don't see the graft that goes into these things. Like talking <clears> about Phoebe Waller-Bridge, for example, people go, oh, Fleabag went to the Edinburgh Fringe and then it was turned into a TV show and now it's a massively famous thing. No, she'd have probably wrote that for years, tried to get it to the Fringe for years, done shows where there's three people and people have walked out and went, what the fuck was that? And then the right person has saw it, put it in the right magazines, put it on the right social pages. Like totally. it's, a, it's a numbers game with like all this stuff and like people just instantly go, Oh yeah, it went to the fringe and then she got a tele adaptation and then she's now massively famous yeah. and wrote the Bond film. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like people don't see like the graft that went into
1: that. No, no. And they can't, you know, they can't appreciate, appreciate that. And and I'm sure you had the same experience whenever I see anything, whether it's a film or, you know, uh play TV, whatever is um even to create something that's bad, the amount of work is unbelievable. The amount of, you know, the hours of thinking things through and getting you know, because what we do is essentially a community thing. Yeah. You know, arts artists, more standard artists, if you want to think of it in that way, you know, who might produce a canvas work can make their work. Um, and then they're not judged as a person on the basis of the the work they produce. They can take a step back, and and that can be analysed as something that's separate from themselves. But as an actor, of course, you are the thing, and you're also producing work. So having a degree of like separation from it is is very difficult. So before I criticise anything, I'm always conscious of how much time and effort has gone into it, and then of course how personal it is. Um, and people just don't see that, do they? They 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 can't no. fully appreciate how many people it takes to create something the the economics behind it the the sheer like uh, imagination that needs to go into it it's no they can't comprehend it
0: and this is why i'll always fight for people to support local theater right there's there's loads of other reasons behind it right but like that's where i'm getting my start i've not got my start i'm getting my start like Mm. my friend created this show and the amount of like things that people don't even think about Like there is a particular reason why that song is playing at that time. There's a particular reason like, and also just then when you go into the logistics of, okay, so these are two actors putting a show on, like, I never knew how to do a risk assessment. I never knew Mm. that every light bulb needs to be accounted for in the theater. How do you, how Mm -hmm. do you write a marketing copy for your show? Where the fuck do you get leaflets from? Do you know what I mean? Like there's so much that goes, Into all of this stuff, I mean, it's a whole different conversation. But like, you just don't realize, like, and it's his own level of artistry as well. And then you turn up to the theater, and they're like, "Do you do do you have your your LX tape to mark out your stage and all?" And you're like, "No, no, no, I don't. I'll I'll go to the shop now."
1: Yeah. And your cue sheets and, and, and all this kind of stuff that need to be time-coded and uh, all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a level of artistry to it, of course. I just have to
0: say, with all the cue sheets and stuff, I don't do none of that. I've got a very <laughs> great stage manager. Love you, Angela. Good,
1: yes. Well, yeah, I mean, someone who's an artist in her own right, and I'm sure yeah. very good at what she does. And I might have been trained for it. You know, she knows that rather the and... show better than me. There you go. Like, I wrote yeah. the thing, and I'm like
0: what what are we doing here? And she'd be like, so you walk over there, this happens, and I'm like, fuck, you're
1: good. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's a testament as well to like, you know, you're a creative, probably lateral thinking person. And she's a creative in a different way that can see things potentially in a more linear way. Yeah. And has, you know, seen it a couple of times and it has retained that information in her head and, and knows, whereas you're, you know, given you're a creative thinking in a different way. Yeah, a hundred percent.
0: But just shout out to Ange. Really love you, Ange. Can't wait to get started again. Um, but no, it is, it's, it's mad what goes into it. And it's also mad that people don't realise how long we prepare for this. And that sort of leads yeah. me into my next question, which I like to ask everybody because I th- always think it's fascinating. How did you get into acting? And what was your first ever role? Doesn't have to be a professional one. We love a good nativity story with a problematic <sighs> tea towel on the head.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's always been the only thing I've felt I've ever been good at. Mm. Um, and it's funny because, uh, British people, of course, culturally we're, we're quite, um, we find it difficult to, uh, to, to, to say we're, we're good at something, you know. Not here, I'll make you say it. No, no, exactly. I mean, and that's, what's great. You know, I, I listened to your episode with Lauren, um, Lauren McQueen, and you know I, I i really love that element because of course americans are not shy about doing that sort of thing yeah you know? um oh you need you need to someone to do that yeah i can do that i'm good at that um so yeah it's always something i felt i was good at which was very important to me because um I uh, i was severely dyslexic when i was mm. well i still am but but uh i i when i was younger i was massively behind my reading age uh my comprehension was good um uh but that was also one of my first sort of. Uh, introductions to actors is listening to their voices on tape and listening to story and um, particularly Christopher Lee reading like the gothic horror like Frankenstein and um, Hunchback Notre Dame* and and Dracula um, because he'd do all the voices um, so as, as soon as I was introduced to this idea of kind of extended play you know um, whereby you know we all know it when we're young right you're a dragon I'm a knight bam three hours have gone by you're in that that play state this idea that you just applied that to you know um, a character or a text yeah. was immediately something I was like, yes, I love this I, this I, this is the only thing I feel like isn't um, really complex math in my in my brain would make the the front of my my brain overheat can't remember my memory is quite good but i can't remember which came first either we did the tale of rama and sita with very questionable casting all around but i think i was one of the monkeys i think um uh, and i was a roman soldier nativity so those are the two i can't remember which came first it was either a roman soldier my line was you know left, right, one, two, three, um, or one of the the monkeys, the monkey king in uh, Rama and Sita. So that was the first the first steps.
0: And do you remember the moment when you were like, actually, no, I want to do this with like the rest of my life. This is what I want to do as my job.
1: It was very early. Yeah, yeah, it was very early. I mean, I, I think because I was always doing, you know, at our local theatre, um, the sort of uh, children's theatre stuff and watching a number, I think there was like a, a production of the selfish giant that was on at this small theater the uh, it's um the corner house in 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 Tolworth, and we go there and see pantomimes and it's actually where lot lots of comedians do warm-up gigs there for the fringe they've got some uh, some link there and I yeah it was very i'd say eight or nine I was like this is this is all I want to do this is it
0: and but but I think there's a
1: there's a massive
0: difference between sort of being a a child who enjoys performing and then going to like a, a weekend drama class and doing drama in school. When, when did you realize, oh no, oh no, like this is like serious. And when was like the, the prospect of drama school introduced? And was there a point then of being like, because it's not the most traditional route to take in life, like going to drama school no. and stuff like that when when was that sort of turning point where you were like I'm serious about this I've been serious about this and now I'm gonna like
1: yeah I mean so so I went to stagecoach, my local Stagecoach, um shout out stagecoach and and they've got an agency so I think yeah. from about 13 or 14 um they they can put you on their books and that's 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 what um I did. And uh, I was going up for things. I remember when I was 12, they were going to make the first Harry Potter with Steven Spielberg. And they went around all the schools in the UK to try and find Harry's. And uh, I was submitted for that by the head of uh, drama at my secondary school, Holyfield. Um, Which has produced loads of actors, actually. So Joe Cole was the year below me. My brother's an actor as well. Uh, It's a name but two. Um, And so that was the first time I was like, okay, I've been putting up for a job, and then Stagecoach uh, put me up for a few things. So I was auditioning, and so it was around then that I was like, "I would love to get jobs, pursue jobs, have jobs." And then uh, because I was, I was kind of living for those, you know, secondary school productions—the uh, big one in about February of every year, about fourteen, fifteen. I was like, "Well, this is this is the progression. This is what I want to do. I just want to do." Drama, theatre, whatever it is. And then I think when you have that careers chat at 15 or 16, it was like the shortest one that the guy did. He was like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I'll be an actor. And he said, well, for that, you have to go to drama school. I was like, well, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And that was it. I mean, my mum my had aspirations to be an actor when she was younger. Um, she, she couldn't get a grant. So she'd actually got into East 15. Um, yeah. But she was a dresser for the RSC uh, at one stage at, at the winners at the Roundhouse, And she'd written a production, a sort of sequel to The White Devil when she was um, studying at Newcastle and took it to the fringe. She's always been, I mean, whatever me and my siblings have wanted to do, she's always been incredibly supportive because she's an an artist herself. So Mm -hmm. it was never a case of her ever even having a, a conversation that I might have with my kids about like how hard it is and, you know, how difficult the industry can be. It was like, You're doing it. Yeah. Off you go.
0: Yeah, no, it's good when things pan out like that. Like one of my sort of not earliest memories, because it only happened like nine years ago. um, But I remember getting to the final year of secondary school. And I went to like secondary school in the arse end of, I shouldn't say that, people that I know still live there. (laughs) Um, I went to school in a really rough part of the northeast of England, like mine in town, and I think there was a real big push on, and that happens to all the time to working class kids, get your 5A star C's in your GCSEs, go to uni and like actually like apply yourself, get a good career so you don't have to be working class, right? Which is madness, yeah, yeah. Like just in general. <clears throat> and I yeah. I, I was like you. I knew from like the earliest of earlier stages that I, I was either going to be an actor or I was going to be a writer. I was going to do one of the yeah. two things. And our final show in secondary school was high school musical. And you get that day wow. where like you are off timetable and you're just all day rehearsing. Mm-hmm. And my science teacher just took like massive offense to the fact that I was allowed to miss her lesson to do this rehearsal. And right. she wrote in my my Leavers book. I'm trying to remember the exact wording. I hope you learn to manage your time better in the future. That was it. Like, there was no, Mm -hmm. like, it's been really nice, like, all this shit. And I was like, I'm going to show you how well I'm going to manage my time. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to open my biology exam. And wow, I, like, protested at, like, 16. And I was like, I know for a fact, like, I'm very lucky that I know I'm never going to need a GCSE in biology. Like, like, I've never used any of my GCSEs. Even when I applied for college and drama school, they didn't ask for them. Like, so... I was like, oh, "Fuck it, fuck it," and I sat there with a copy of Macbeth in my biology exam, reading Macbeth, <laughs> not reading Macbeth, but like, yeah, yeah, hearing yeah. over the pages to be like, "Is she watching me?" I walked in, yeah. with my name, candidate number, and didn't even open it. I had the staff come up and been like, "Do you not want to try it?" And I was like, "I can do
1: this. This is a point yeah. I'm making." Wow. So yeah, like, it's a it's it's a great flex. I mean, yeah. I mean, and you're right. I mean, it's I really sabotage myself a little bit in A-levels.
0: I think my point with that was trying to reach teachers and trying to say, please don't dismiss those kids because it's so important that, like, that part, like, especially even if, like, drama is so important, and I've spoken about this quite a lot on the podcast, but, like, even if that kid doesn't want to be an actor they learn to speak in front of people they get more confident they learn how to do presentations so please if you're a teacher out there that's just listening to this because you've come across it please don't dismiss those kids that have other interests and don't dismiss that subject as a whole because it's
1: not a core subject like it's Totally totally i mean it's a debate that's going on quite a lot you know um you're people listen to this in britain will know this debate going on that you know people people on a certain side of the political divide are diminishing and dismissing um certain degrees as being quote-unquote useless which as you just said i mean no education is wasted no it's none of it is wasted there are what i'd say uh potentially 50 percent maybe more of my year at, at drama center Aren't actors anymore. Everything they learn at Drama Center, they can apply. They could apply to any kind of creative career. They could apply to to anything. If you utilize the same way of perceiving uh the world and perceiving art, you can apply to to anything and make lots and lots of money. I mean, I, I know it comes this this teacher probably it probably came from a place of um of good intentions. I don't think it did. What Okay. Well, she, she came from, she's coming from this idea that, right, we need to get Ingram as many grades as possible in order to potentially facilitate a, a career where he can make lots of money because of what, you know, money is, having money is useful yeah. and, you know, um, but what she didn't contend with is that you you knew yourself enough, which is actually like kind of the point of education really is, uh, you know, we, we're obsessed in this country with um you know getting good grades and passing exams as opposed to education being about like who are you and what is it that you do and can um give to society that you are great at because of course we all we all collectively benefit from yeah. um having loads of amazing surgeons who are amazing at what they do everyone benefits from that um you knowing that you're an actor a creative a writer and pursuing that and being the best at it that you can possibly be helps everybody yeah um, and being dismissive of of that as an idea um, is, is 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 frankly anti education in, in my opinion because simply passing exams you look at loads of people who you know go into the city whoever who were the top of their class and blah 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 earning good money who are miserable who waste the majority of their their life they feel a lot of the time uh, making lots of money for other people and not being. Uh, fulfilled. Um, and, and, and that's, that's really what, what education should be about is, is what is it that you do and can be the best at? And, and because that, invig- you know, that enriches the whole of society as well. So, I mean, I hope she learned from that you know, from that experience of seeing somebody who wasn't having it. I really wouldn't know
0: because also my school no longer offered GCSE drama as an option.
1: So there we go. She doesn't
0: have to contend with that anymore. Do you know what I mean? She eventually mm. got her way on like a, a school wide level, but like, she, mm, well, I, I don't know what was the matter with it. I think it was like, I don't, cause I wasn't necessarily like a, a naughty child. Like I worked hard. I did what I had to do did I talk a bit too much? yes um, mm. was I probably <laughs> a bit disruptive? yes but like I don't know and I, she just took umbrage with me and I was like I'm gonna fuck your statistics so hard you mentioned it there, um, talking about going to drama centre and stuff. One of my favourite things to talk about when it comes to drama school, because there's so much shit that goes on behind these doors. People wouldn't yep. believe it. Like, I'm still campaigning yep. for educating Radha, even though it's never going to happen. Do you have a favourite funny or crazy story you can share with us? About about my time at drama school? Yeah, because like, like I just remember even, like, I'll tell this story. No, I'll tell a different story, actually. I've told that one loads about him sniffing her ass um oh my god i'm trying to think of mad things that happened at drama school now i remember like we got into like a 45 minute heated debate on how to change a duvet in drama school yeah. i uh-huh. walked outside of my like final year showcase and somebody was calling me a wanker to an agent like shit goes down Spicy. behind these doors that like if you put this on television to let the public see it they'd be like what the fuck and then you also spend like 45 minutes on a monday morning crying about your dead relatives or sitting in the fetal position
1: rocking back and forward yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean the the thing about when i went to drama center you know it had this reputation of being the trauma center <laughs> um but, but by the time i got there which was after yat and christopher who were the principals and they were they were they were together right up until yat died in 2001 so they were Together for about fifty years. Uh, I mean, Christopher is the basis of Hannibal Lecter. So when um, Anthony Hopkins came to Drama Centre for for private lessons from from Chris, uh, and yeah. Uh, he based Hannibal Lecter on Christopher Fairs. You have an idea of how terrifying this man must be I didn't, in the basis of I didn't ca- know that. of a cannibal. Oh yeah. Um anyway, by the time so what they could do, because they, they were affiliated to a, a university, but it wasn't like today where they were, you know, universities of businesses first and foremost, you know. Before- yeah,
0: because that's how drama center started, wasn't it? It was like they were at Central and they were like, right, with all these new sort of rules and regulations have come in, and we now have to do XYZ to be accredited. And yeah, and Christopher were like, no, 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 yeah. not going to do that. I'm no. going to leave and I'm going to take everyone with me.
1: All drama schools could do this. They could throw people out after, after a term if they wanted. Like Every single term, they could review who was there and they go, well, you're not taking this seriously or this isn't for you. And they would literally throw people out, which of course, like anybody who works for universities right now would be like, how does anyone make any money? But yeah. of course, they weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about making artists. You know, it was it was proper vocational like this we're trying to condense seven years of training into three um you know these people aren't in it you know for massive material gain or monetary gain it's about um making them the best they can possibly be um so they would do that they would throw people out and it would create this really stressed, as you can imagine, environment whereby everyone was worried that they were going to be mm. thrown out all the time. Um, but by the time I got there, the school was run by uh, Vladimir and they, they they couldn't throw people out and they didn't. And, and, and it was a different atmosphere. But what was there was this was still like because we were in, we were rotated in 12 hours a day, five days a week, and we rehearsed outside as well. Mm. So. We'd be in that place all the time. Um, so there's a huge amount of internal pressure about how much work you need to be doing. And even that was a kind of like act, you know what I mean? Like you'd be trying to rehearse this really dense text like Man and Superman or something like that, you know, or, or um, we had to do these these projects called analysis where we'd, we'd basically have to create a show, a 40 minute show, about like Dionysus or Agamemnon or something like that going back to the Greeks you know right through Moliere so we'd have all these like incredibly stressful late nights trying to create this really idiosyncratic uh work um and we did this one project called about Dionysus which was hilarious so Dionysus is the god of wine and yeah. partying but also madness and if you've seen Fantasia he's the he's the chap who's you know you know drinking wine and He's got the 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 garlands of like grapes in his hair um but he's yeah he's he's the god of revelry and partying and you know you'd say like going to Glastonbury is a dionysian experience because it's like feeling but it's also about you know getting on it you know getting on the <laughs> sesh um and we like we didn't it was like there was four four of us in the project between the director and we'd like envisioned it we were like candles and uh you know baby oil and we were like in very you know in in very little clothes doing these duologues and and, and monologues trying to basically give people a sense of what Dionysus was like and we were like there until 10 o'clock one night we were like what what the fuck are we doing you know what I mean if any one of our friends who weren't actors just walked past the studio door and just saw what we were up to you know they'd be like what what the fuck are you lads up to do you know what I
0: mean? Yeah. It's like the question that I often pose is, what would my parents have thought had I had to do drama school during lockdown? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. On Zoom.
0: On Zoom, in my like if like I don't live with my parents, but like if I did, like would they be like, what the fuck are we paying
1: for? Yeah. Um, it wasn't my year, but um the year before me, there was a legendary like improvisation they did on Hampstead Heath. Um, because they were doing the crucible uh for the like last term first year. And they um, had to come up with a ritual, you know, because in the crucible, the girls are caught prior to the place starting doing this uh, potentially satanic ritual in the woods. So uh, all the girls in the year had to come up with a ritual they were doing on Hampstead Heath and they went and did it at like 2 a.m. on Hampstead Heath. You know, some of them got into a state of undress because that's that's one of the crucial things that one of the characters finds about them. And again, you know, some questionable casting going on. Yeah. And just somebody being up in a tree at 3 a.m., Chanting, you know witch stuff the things we do you know again the things the things we do
0: we do um no i think drama school's a mental place should be several tv shows made about it but um so if any producers want to get involved uh i've
1: got ideas Emails in the show notes. I read a script. So what, in 2013 or 2012, I got a script through from my agent, which was a film that was very clearly written by someone who'd been to drama center and were dramatizing their experience. It was, I was like...
0: I don't want to do scripted. I want to do like (laughs) fly on the wall documentary. Oh, oh, okay. Right, right, right. Like, I want people to actually see like a timestamp in the bottom corner of the screen that says Monday, 7.45 a.m., a room full of hungover students this has happened to me yeah. a lecturer walks in who is a bit as i would probably say and it's probably not a great word to use arty farty they walk sure. in the room and they go okay so today we're going to um explore emotional recall so um please lie on your backs look at the um the ceiling and um start to think about a dead relative and then how would you wow. feel if that dead relative was here in the room now, Yeah, I've not seen them since they passed. And it's just like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like they walk in and they're like, okay, um, today you're all gonna be unborn and you're gonna be <laughs> in the umbilical sack, whatever it's called, and just explore that split space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh- show me what it's like to be in that, that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah being in utero, but but i think it's mad um a fun question that i like to ask everyone is if a casting director came to you tomorrow and said hey listen i want to do a two-hander with you in the west end but i don't know who i want to put you with and you can pick anyone in the world but they have to be alive and the play will be written around the two of you who are you picking oh my god
1: um i would love to work with julianne moore yes julianne moore but for sure um Isabelle Huppert as well. I don't know if, if your listeners know her. She's an incredible French actress. Uh, if you've seen the piano teacher, the Hannah K films, that's like one of the most mind blowing performances you'll ever see. Daniel Day Lewis obviously is the forever yeah. the forever acting crush. I mean, recently, like I saw Johnny Flynn recently in in um, the motive in the queue, and of course he was in that Jack Shepard play with Kit Harrington a few years ago. I mean, he's he's just a a phenomenal phenomenal actor. Actor.
0: I have to carry on my campaign, and people are shouting it it's been going on that long. Like people are already saying it. Catherine Tate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I heard you say this to Lauren. Yeah. yeah it's yeah.
0: like genuinely every week since about, cause it originally was Whoopi
1: Goldberg. And then I watched right. something and I was like, no, it's Catherine Tate. Well, she's one of those, Um, she's one of those comedians who you're like, you sense. Like, well, I don't want to do like comedy Jim... with Catherine. No, no. But as in she, like Jim Carrey, the, her capacity for potentially doing um, drama is massive. Mm. I want to do Shakespeare with Catherine. I'm calling right. her
0: Catherine because we are best friends. Um yeah. no, the the thing that you say about like um a good actors making actors, other actors good, totally true. But if I was on stage with Catherine Tate trying to do a comedy sketch, I'd look like the biggest piece of shit in the world and I'm at peace with it.
1: <laughs> it's hard. I mean that's that's the reality. Comedy is really, really hard, and actually everyone says it about comedians when they're on step and they're creating something is they're incredibly serious about it as a form. And, you know, quite often the big giveaway for something being shit, if it's a comedy is everyone involved is like, we just had a great time. So I mean, we just, we were laughing, we were laughing low. And then you watch it and you're like, did you? Because (laughs) when we, we we ain't, we ain't laughing. (laughs) There's nothing going on here. Um, Whereas, you know, big big comedic actors are incredibly serious about mm. you know where where the laugh is and and the timing of it, and because it has its own uh, rhythmic quality that you that you have to you have to honor. Um, whereas um, doing uh, tragedy, as it were, or drama is 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 slightly easier. Slightly.
0: The other thing that I love about Catherine Tate, and I don't think I've actually ever said this on the podcast, so fresh content for everyone. Is that she is still working with the same people that she has worked with for years. Like she just had a new TV show come out, Queen of Oz on BBC. I'd play Go Check It Out. And she's still working with Nikki Wardley, who played like Lauren's sidekick in the sketch show. She's still working with Matthew Horn in the Nan movie. And I don't know, I just really admire that because she is, she's gained massive success over like Doctor Who, The Office, just also just being a comic icon in Britain. Yeah, She could pull those big names. She could like essentially pull her dick out, whap it on the table and say, you're going to be in my show. So like pretty much anyone. But I really admire that she has kept working with the same people. Obviously, I, I don't want to talk about it for too long, but I can't have you on without talking about Hollyoaks and stuff. But what was it like mm-hmm. joining
1: like the big four? I mean, look, I, I have to be honest. I um, I don't watch soaps. Yeah, um, They're not my thing. Um, and uh, I, I think the longest I've watched a soap for was probably Stenders when I was eight or nine. Um, and I have to cop to, it's probably um, snobbery. Um, and, I and dip assumed... in and out when there's good storylines. Yeah, I mean, the w- the thing that you say about the uh, the, the storylines and how uh, the forefront Hollyoaks has been consistently in terms of like social things, um, certainly something I, I became immensely proud of um, because uh, there's loads of things that they've covered and explored um, that lots of even like mainstream TV was reticent to explore, you know, I mean, before uh, Hollyoaks Brookside was shot in the same place. And, and of course they had one of the first um, lesbian kisses with Anna Friel uh, in, in 1993. So what was it like? I mean, for me, I, I, you know, you can only ever play the the cards you have in your hand. Mm. I just got back from doing a, a year with Punch Drunk in, in China. And and because i have been away for a while, things were slow. Um, and I mean, you know, again, uh, full disclosure, it was never in my plan, if yeah. you can even have a plan. You know, I was offered this work. Um, it's it's uh, it was an opportunity um, to play a character that was fun, to make good money, and but crucially to learn because I I you know done a lot of theatre and I'd done bits as day players like in Silent Witness and things like that and and on uh, Anna Karenina, but it really wasn't enough. To really get any kind of sense of how the camera works and it functions. Yeah. Um, because we had it at drama school, it isn't enough. Um, so IMDB tells me I've done 171 episodes of Hollyogs. I couldn't tell you um how many I thought I did or I'd done. Um, but what that experience gave me was an understanding of of how camera works. Mm-hmm. Um, and how all the lingo, you know, dirty shot, clean shot, mid frame, tracking, panning, drone, whatever it is, how they yeah. function, how long something takes and and what your process needs to be to facilitate the director who is the the number one storyteller. Because, of course, like, you know, on stage, the actor is it's the actor's medium. They're the storyteller. Um, when the director leaves, there has to be a moment where they go, "There's here's the show. Off you go. And they then have to take a step back, and they can't be in giving you notes every single night, um, however much they might want to. Uh, they have to let go. Whereas um, the director, you really do want yeah. to give notes every fucking night, for sure, for sure. Um, so I'm immensely grateful for that because, uh, pr- like, prior to that experience, stepping on set was was terrifying. You know, um, how am I going to do this? um how am i gonna do it quickly how am i going to facilitate what they want i kind of feel like i need a rehearsal we're not gonna now i know exactly what that beast is because i've done everything i've done stunts sex scenes um you know everything night shoots everything you could possibly do and worked with a huge array of directors uh who were you know bringing a different understanding of the aesthetic they wanted the light they wanted so i've also um, it's also made me a, a director as it were you know yeah Um, and, and given me an aspiration to direct so I would say as an education certainly Hollyoaks and I think Hollyoaks is unique in this respect because it's single camera mm-hmm. Emmerdale, Coronation Street, EastEnders are multi-cam so three or four cameras at once you probably do it three or four times so they can move quickly but that isn't what film or big TV is. So yeah, if you if you have aspirations um to go into big TV and big film or anything for the, you know, for TV, you know, Happy Valley or yeah. um, a- anything like that, um, learning how it functions to be on a set with a single camera, it is it's an incredible education and it and it's given me huge confidence. I can walk onto any set, you know, I, I've had a few gigs with the BBC post Hollyoaks. And both of them, called Midwife and Father Brown, however much money they have, move so quickly
0: mm-hmm.
1: comparatively quickly in terms of like uh, how how you need to get your, your you know your shit done. I'm not phased by it. I know how yeah. it works. I've done repetition and and that's what you want There's, that's all i can if I can give any advice to the people listening if you if you're a young actor is to get into a job and get into a long job, whether it's on stage or whether it's in the TV um and learn. Because the best way you can have longevity is to be good at what you do. That's 100%. that's the best way, you know. Mm. Um, lots of, you know, I, I speak to young actors all the time. because I teach acting as well, and of course, one can get seduced by um, very talented people making it look easy. Mm. And that's anything. You could be a dancer. You could be a singer. That's their trick. Great actors want to trick you into thinking, "Well, oh, I, I just, I just did it, or oh, I just do it. I just when I speak, it comes out." Don't be seduced by that. You know, get busy. Make your own shit do it for a long time, be in, be in a TV show for a long time, be, in, be on stage for a long time, because, because it will give you huge confidence and it will make you good. And that gives you huge longevity because people, of course, want to employ people that they know can do it and, and know themselves enough to be able to be consistent. You know, that's a professional. Yeah. Uh, an amateur doesn't know why they're good one night and why they're shit the next night. And they, can, they can't do it for an eight-month run. Professional knows, I know how to set up the circumstances whereby I can be consistent for, you know, Uh, eight shows a week and be at least an eight out of 10 in in each of those.
0: My piece of advice, right? And I'm going to say that I don't think I've ever said this before, Um, but it has plagued me. If you are creating your own stuff, and if you're not, if you're just sending emails, read everything you type aloud. The amount of times I'm not ashamed to say I have called people the wrong names. I have paid for programs to be printed and then realized I've spelt my own name wrong. Or oh have, jesus um put the wrong character name next to other people in programs um read because obviously sometimes you don't want to share everything with other people to be like please proofread this i had this last night with one of my friends they sent me the f- program for a show that i'm I don't want to call them out, but they sent me the program for a show that I'm doing. And I've like phoned them at nearly three o'clock in the morning and said, you haven't ordered these, have you? Because you've spelt technician wrong. And they were like, fuck, no, I haven't ordered them. Thank you. Um, read everything aloud. Like actually speak the words, even when you're replying to an email, because I sent one not long ago and they replied, was this meant for me? Because I'm not Tracy.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, I did that very thing a couple of days ago.
0: It was meant um, for you, but I'm also emailing somebody called Tracy at the same time. Totally. I mean, do you think you might be dyslexic? No, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> I okay. write emails in the morning and like, so. for talking sake, it happens when I'm dealing when I'm scheduling this podcast, it happens a lot when I'm talking to multiple people at once, because I'll be like, oh, that's, let's just come up with a random one. Cause I don't want to tell everyone who's coming on the show. Um, I'll be sure. like, hello, Leonardo DiCaprio, will you please come on my podcast? And then I'll be talking to Anne Hathaway, but I'll accidentally call her Leonardo because I'm having the same conversation with two different people at the same
1: time. Yes, completely. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I mean, I, I can put it on to my dyslexia. Um, but yes, I mean, yeah, I have got no excuse. I'm just an idiot. I mean, you could be. You could be neurodivergent. You could fall into to one of the neurodivergent um, umbrellas or underneath the neurodivergent umbrella. Um, but yeah, that is that is a good, um, a very good piece of advice. Yeah, if, if read you, everything if you said, aloud. Proofread everything. Read it aloud.
0: Yeah, um, it, it, even proofreading, I I can't proofread something by just looking at it. I have to read it aloud. Because then, like, mm. even when you're just looking at things, you skip over stuff and, like, read it. Like, I'm noticing I'm going to fully, totally own up to it right now. I'm looking at my notes, and it says Coronation Street, Liam Donovan. <laughs> and there you go. That is because in a couple of weeks, you will see somebody on this podcast from Coronation Street, and I was planning them both at the same time.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Absolutely.
0: But running back to Hollyoaks, um, did yeah. you nick anything from the set? I always like to ask that.
1: Did I nick anything from the set? Um, no, um, because it's the aesthetic of it is so not me <laughs> <laughs> that I wouldn't have wanted anything. Um they give you they give you when you leave, they give you a a, a picture of yourself in this sort of glass, you know, thing. Yeah. It's quite it's quite naughty. And I gave to my mum. I give my mum all, all that sort of stuff. It's a picture of me as Liam. Um, which I gave to my mum. So that's that's really the only really the only memento um, that that I, that I got from from Hollyoaks. Um, but so I mean, I'm I'm immensely grateful to Hollyoaks for learning as yeah. much as I did and growing as much as I did and the relationships i formed. You know, uh, Madge, who played my brother Jesse, is one of my best friends. Uh, went to him and Daisy's wedding last year. Rachel Adedeji, uh Jen. Um, some really beautiful people who are also incredible actors. I mean, I think that's that's the thing, is there's an assumption of quality about people who do these these types of things, which is, again, I think it's a bit class-based as well. There's a snobbery that goes on, but it just, it's laughable, you know? I also
0: don't think it's, this is me allowed to say this, you don't have to comment. I don't think it's absolutely unfounded because back in the day, Hollyoaks were known to hire models instead of actors because they have that aesthetic. So it's still sort of and listen, I'll say it till the cows come home. They trailblaze storylines. They put stuff on television before anyone is willing to put it on. But they have that sort of reputation of being like, well back in the day they used to hire models instead of actors. So it's a bit shit. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely I'm never getting a job on (laughs) Hollyoaks. i mean i mean who knows i mean it clearly goes in waves right you know they 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 launched it as a kind of youth soap Mm -hmm. and then they had that phase in the early '90s where they where they were like right we're going to sell it on the basis of sex and we're going to bring in these models and then and then and then it shifted again i mean it's always tried to be a a young person's soap i think like i I watched a few omnibuses with with the girlfriend when i was like 14 um when they were kind of coming out of the back of the the models thing um but I can only speak on my experiences with the, with the the people I worked with. Yeah. And what you have to understand is that soaps are written in a certain way. You know, yeah. Madge is a writer himself. He had a, a trial writing for the show and they very much push you into writing things like uh, a single tear falls down their face. You know, uh, they're inconsolable with tears uh, and they, 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 you into making those creative choices even if you were, apt, you know with all of your soul and being you would rather never write those words in your life yeah um because because they they have a a product that they want to deliver upon because it it needs that level of consistency and within that, they the then trojan horse these these huge issues like the one that you talk about with lauren with you know self harm and and um, yes, you know, such a good storyline the far right storylines and th- things like that you know um I mean I I knew exactly what what the assignment was for my character he was very sort of camp uh you know uh, bad boy villain and, and 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 that's what they wanted and I tried to bring a a level of nuance to it as much nuance as 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 I could you have to understand the 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 what you're working on but great I worked with some some great actors who would work in anything yeah. and are working in anything and doing great work um so the people who assume that the the quality of actor is is less, um, I challenge you to work with Jen or or Madge or or Rachel. 100%. um, um, And and them not be more watchable than you. I think
0: anyone who works on a SOAP and can consistently push out a high standard of work at the rate that soaps work at, I I'd applaud everyone.
1: I mean, I, I hope you do get a job in one of them because because it will make you a better actor. I promise you.
0: We'll play a game. It's one of my fun, one of my favorite things in the world. It's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And it's three stories. Yeah. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and have been submitted by listeners. And one of them yeah. is a big fat lie that's been made up by our producer Heather. I've got the answer in a sealed envelope with your name on it, even though you can't it won't focus. Um, And we've got to find out which one's the lie. Um, I was reading these earlier, and um, the last one is disgusting, and I really hope that that's the lie. Um, Number one, (laughs) during a drama school production of Macbeth, our leading lady was well known from suffering from stage fright. Yes, our lead had really bad stage fright. One night, she was doing her final monologue, and she lost her line. In a panic, she grabbed one of the prop books from the bookshelf behind her and started reciting lines from Romeo and Juliet. I was in the wings and could hardly contain my laughter. Number two, in one rehearsal, we were tasked with improvising in character. For five minutes, one boy continuously just called me fat until the director told him to stop. Number three, my lecturer asked me to place the chewing gum from my mouth into her hand because we weren't allowed to chew in class. She then started chewing it herself. Okay. I, I, I'm going for number three. I, want, I If number three is not the lie, I'm going to like be a little bit ill. We don't have to agree, but I'm going to go for number... I
1: can't... I mean, no, that is disgusting. Um, And yes, I very much hope number three is stage shite, but there was something about the first story which felt like bullshit as well. Right, so are you going for number one? Just in the sake of variety, I'll go yeah. for number one. You can go for number three, but we'll both inwardly pray the number three is the oh. lie. I,
0: I, I, how would you react if somebody said to you, chewing gum? You're not allowed to chew in my class, right? First of all, I think it's a bit weird that they even wanted it to put them in the hand, like, like to put it in the hand. Yeah, it,
1: it feels, um, it feels sexual in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like it's this person's kink that yeah. they that they want the chewing gum and then to consume, kind of semi-consume it. Oh, that's... I mean, you I think somewhere you're crossing some consensual. You know, what I mean that you're like, you don't even know this is my kink and I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Number one. I was right. You were right, but...
1: uh, Oh, no. I mean, yeah, this person needs to be reported because they're clearly a sexual deviant.
0: Yeah, Heather, please go and find the email and we need to, like... We need to stop this. We need to put an end to this tyranny. Oh, no, don't do that. If you're out there listening, right? Even if it turns you on, like... Yeah, listen, we're we're not kink-sharing anybody.
1: No, no, not at all. Please... Make people aware that this is your kink because don't, I think there's don't something do it per-
0: to, um, about. Don't do it to your students either Yes, or either of us, thank you Yeah. Well yeah, I mean if you pay me I might be up for it but um, <laughs> That's that's a different story That's uh, but, that's a different podcast Yeah, if you're listening at home and you've got a story for Stedgerite stage Stedgerite You can email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com And I'll know who you are but it's still anonymous Or you can go down and be completely anonymous in the Google Forms That's in the show notes below um, we have we have a closing tradition on the podcast where I asked the previous guest to leave a question for the current guest and myself to answer. And um, oh, yeah. today's, they don't know who they're asking. You won't know who you ask. But the question that has been yeah. left for us today, it's very specific. It's about weddings. Um, have yeah. you received only an invite to the evening reception of your friend's
1: wedding? Would you still go? I have still gone. My answer is yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have I have been invited to one in an the evening and I have still gone. So yes is 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 the answer.
0: I think my answer when we spoke about when I spoke about it with the person that asked, I said it would depend because it happened to me very recently. I couldn't I ended up not being able to go to the wedding because um I'm in rehearsals and stuff, and that's just the life of an actor. You miss shit. Um of course. But there was like it's one of my school friends, and there was like five of us going from school to this wedding. Had I been the only person that got only the night invitation, I'd have been pissed off. But all of us were only invited on the night. I also think if it was my best, best friend now, I'd have a riot with them if they were like, you're not coming to that actual wedding. And I probably wouldn't go. So I think there's a lot of factors that get this answer. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think lots of people have lots of strange ideas around around weddings that I don't share you know like an expectation of like being a bride's, bridesmaid or being like a groomsman or something like that like I'm never going to be like I'm sorry why didn't you make me your groomsman you know no, I don't think I would um, be if... but if it was
0: like my best mate and I only got a nighttime invitation sorry. I'd be like yeah yeah exactly
1: go fuck yourself yeah I mean it's I guess it's like I, I wonder how this person considers me will they consider me uh, a nighttime reception guest i am like okay you no know, when I've been invited in that respect I've gone that makes sense that's, mm. that's probably our relationship. I probably wouldn't pay for them to come to the full wedding. Um, I would be massively confused if my best, best buds were mm. asking me to come to the evening reception. But when it's happened to me before, I've gone, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'd the
0: same for you. Because also, see if I'm being completely honest, I'm kind of an introvert that masquerades in this life as an extrovert. So, oh, tell me about it. I think I'm quite happy with not being included in like the wedding party. Like I don't need to stand sure. up and do stuff. I don't I don't really want to do. I'm quite happy just to turn up. And also, I quite like that when you're just a
1: guest, you can leave whenever the fuck you like. big time, big time, and you can you can sort of give yourself a fucking rest as well. like you know i'm I'm with you. i'm a, I'm an introverted extrovert. um, you know when you're, when you're invited to the whole thing and you're, you know, you start noting people in that awful wanky act of way about how their you know, uh, their speeches, you know, in your mind, you're like, you know, um, stop telling us about um, how great they are as a person and give us a fucking anecdote. Yeah, you know, tell us like,
0: about the time that they fucking were in the strip club.
1: Yeah, just, you know, just shut the fuck up. Put that part of your brain aside and try and enjoy this day like a normal yeah. person as opposed to like wanting to give them some mic technique help. Do you know I, what I mean?
0: Yeah, I, I 100%. But um, if you do want to invite Machine Wedding out there, anybody listening, I might come. <laughs> I might not. Depends on my diary. Yeah. I have missed two. Evening guests. Really, yeah, evening guests. But I have missed two of my like very. Good friends' weddings in the past year for for acting, love my acting life. Reasons. Love my yes. life. One was for an audition that I didn't fucking get, and then one is because I'm rehearsing for the Fringe. Yeah, love that it. is the worst. Yeah, it, 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 and I feel like genuinely, I this is how I know I like these people because I genuinely feel guilt. that yeah. I can't be yeah. there, and I'm like fuck. Um, but what question would you like to leave for the next guest? Doesn't have to be about acting. Can literally be about anything you like. What's coming up next for you? Where can people come and see you? What are you in? Anything you're allowed to talk about?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm back in the Burland City. Um, uh, Punch Drunk's new show, um, which will close on the 24th of September. Um, but I'm going to be in it throughout August. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's my third show, Punch Drunk. I, I love them um, and I love the work and I love the community that it engenders. It's a five star show. Um, if you know, if you can see it before it closes, because this will be the last ever mask show, new mask show, which is which is huge considering you know they, they kind of changed immersive theatre forever. Um, so that's 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 what's up next. Yeah.
0: And where can everyone follow you on social media to keep
1: up to date with what you're doing and stuff like that? Um, you'll be surprised to hear that there wasn't a huge amount of um, you know interest in uh, Jude Monk McGowan as a name. So all my ads are at Jude Monk McGowan so um, you'd think that there wasn't a lot of
0: interest in ingram noble right and i yeah. eventually i had to pay for it um I, wow. I i offered some people some money um and and got it across all platforms uh my dad's got the email address though which is slightly irritating um so um damn you i couldn't get just ingram right There's a lot of american companies that have my name really yeah, there you go thank you so much for coming on and doing this genuinely it's been such a pleasure and if you ever find yourself in Glasgow hit me up first round of drinks are on me I
1: don't drink so I'll be on the Red Bull but you can have whatever you like well I mean I might call on you sooner than you think because uh, so my godmother lives in Glasgow and she was the head of pediatrics at the um, hospital there so I might well be up there because also my my partner one of her good friends in drama school has just had a baby so they live up there and... I might well drop you a line
0: and there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 158 completed. Thank you so much to Jude for coming on the podcast. And make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're enjoying the podcast, why not tell someone about it? Leaving a rating and a review on the show. will recommend us to other listeners and help the podcast grow. Don't forget, if you've got a story for stage right or stage Shy, please click the link to the Google form in the show notes below or email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com to submit your story. And while you're down in the show, notes you can become an official drama school dropout by signing up to our patreon using the link down there i'll be back again next tuesday with a brand spanking new episode but until then have a great week stay safe i love you drama school dropout no graduation day for you drama school dropout
1: to hold course, now try something new Time has to go away